ask our Bereans to come forward at this time. Y'all can come forward. In just a moment, they'll be reading to you from the uh, Litany of Invitation and Confession. They'll be leading that this morning. And if you don't know already, I'll introduce to you, this is our Berean class. Van, Thomas, and Ava Grace Cook, Brother Bo, and Mary Frances. They'll be leading, and you will respond. Jesus loves us and wants us to love one another. We come here to praise God and to learn God's love for all people. Jesus loved everybody, no matter who they were. God loved the world so much that God sent Jesus to live, die, and be resurrected for the whole world. We are grateful for the new life we have because of God's abundant grace and mercy. We can confess that we do not always love the way Jesus loves. We ask for God's Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. Though it is a dreary day outside, it is a good day to be together as God's people in this place on this good day. Welcome. Thank you, Bereans, for welcoming us and for leading us into worship. Uh, Aren't you ready to worship now? I think so. Uh, As we begin worship, we welcome those who are guests among us. We're glad that you share this time together. Uh, There is on the edge of the order of service a welcome card. If you're a guest today, if you could put your name on that, it'll help me connect name and face with you. You can drop it in the offering plate when it is passed. Also, for any of you who would like to be prayed for this week, uh, you can put uh, your name and need on that card, drop it in the plate. And it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and uh, by need. There are three lessons that we will read today that are part of our Easter journey because we're still only halfway through the great 50 days of Easter. And it's the last uh, of the ones that I'll be preaching from, from the the gospel lesson. It's the story of Jesus telling the disciples after a night of catching nothing, he was on the shore and he says, cast the net on the other side. And they do and they find a great catch. I think it took a lot of courage for them to do that. And it could be that in your life, part of uh, the sensitivity to the spirit that you'll have 
is what might God be calling you to risk for God's sake courageously? And what might God be calling our church to do in the same way? Welcome to the worship of God. The Apostle Paul is confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road, a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Here ends the first lesson. <clears throat> and now will you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Gracious God, we come before you with gratitude that you are the everlasting source of love and life. When we stray from that belief, we wander in despair. Hear our petitions of desire to love you better, to accept the paths that are put before us, and to use the strength we have to make them paths of righteousness. How do we glorify your name and lift you up? The Notre Dame spire is gone. It was meant to glorify your name and bring the light from heaven. Our church spire is gone too. But we know that we don't need a spire to remind us of the resurrected Lord. The light of your love is so high we can't get over it. How do we glorify your name when we see you on the cross suffering and then in the tomb? destroying all our hopes of a savior. When we suffer, you are on the cross there with us, bringing light to our darkness. That grieving light that you bring to the tomb is so low we can't get under it. How do we glorify your name and lift you up when during Holy Week, a bomb in a Catholic church in Sri Lanka killed over a hundred, and the priest lost a finger, protecting others. Then on the last day of Passover in California, a synagogue shooting left one dead and even more wounded, killing a woman while she stood in front of the rabbi to protect him. Glorifying your name is bigger than we ever imagined it to be. It is so wide we can't get around it. And it must include Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, Christians, 
Muslims, and all people who are all children of the light. We have seen the light of your resurrection, and we are children of the Lord. Help us to spread the only light that can glorify you. That is the light of love. We know what to do. Let us fish alongside of you as you multiply the fish, which have no race or creed, but must be given away in acts of love. We ask these things in the light of Christ's love. Amen. The Apostle John is given a vision of the heavenly chorus and hears them worship God and sing of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. A reading from the book of Revelation. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne. And the living creatures and the elders, they numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands singing with a full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Here ends the second lesson. Would all the children please come forward at this time? All right, let's sit right here. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Well, everybody's got offerings. I forgot to grab the offering plate. Let me grab it. Oh, Pastor Daniel's got it. All right. Y'all put those in there. They're so wonderful. Thank you for bringing those. Everybody sit. Okay. Well, okay. Is everybody sitting down? Can everybody see me? Hey, look who I brought today. Oh, it's flat Jesus. I brought him again. Do you still have your flat Jesus at home? Yes, no, that's okay. That's okay. He's still around. Well, you know, I brought him back today because, and he's still wearing, he's wearing white because you know, it's still Easter. If you listen to our, our story that, um, that, I, that we're going to read with our sermon in just a minute, you know, we're going to read a story about Jesus and the disciples and how he was still around even after he even after he died that's right so and i brought something else with me today this is this is my bible from when i was a little girl and i got this bible it has my name on it from when i was a little girl which is my last name's different on there right but that was my name from when i was a little girl 
And then on the inside right here, my mom wrote in my Bible. And it says, it, this holy Bible is presented to Andrea Marie Corso by mom and dad with our love. And it says, on your 11th birthday, April 29th, 1996. That's a long time ago. And I've had my Bible for a really long time. And I read lots of stories in it. See, I make marks in it. I like pink, see? I write in pink. Yeah. And then I write in green sometimes. And there's more pink in there. And you know what I find in here? I find a lot of stories about this guy. And I read a lot about him too in here. And you know, one of the things that I read in here, one of my two favorite verses is from the book of John. And it's John 3, 16 and 17. Because 17 I think is important. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, that means kind of get mad at the world, but he sent his Son to save the world through him. And that is just a really important thing for us to remember because when we think about Easter, we got to think about how much Jesus loves us and how much Jesus loves all of the people here and all of the people in our world. There's a lot of love to go around. It said the whole world. And so sometimes when I think about my Bible that I had when I was a little girl, I think about a song that I learned when I was a little girl. And you might know this song too. Do you know the song, Jesus Loves Me? Do you know that song? Do y'all know that song? That's good because I was wondering if you might help me sing it. And so today, instead of saying our prayer, we're going to sing our prayer. So let's all close our eyes and you can bow your head and y'all can do it with us too. And we're all going to sing our prayer so that our love and Jesus's love, we can help spread that through the whole world. So everybody, let's sing. One, two, ready, sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And everyone said, Amen. Let's go.
the resurrected Christ serves a breakfast of bread and fish to the disciples on the seashore after they had fished all night and caught nothing. A reading from the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered together there were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And then he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fishes, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire was there, with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it turns out that in life, disappointment is not an option. As much as I wish it were otherwise, it seems as if disappointment for us humans is part of the core curriculum of being human. If I didn't know that, George and Susan on either side of me would say that uh, because I hit a few clunkers <clears throat> in the songs we just heard. Disappointment's not an option, but what we do with our disappointment is an option. That's one of the preaching points that rises from this story that uh, you've just heard read. It's a fishing story, so it gets me right off the bat. I want to listen to see what happens to these fishermen, and lo and behold, the two worst words that a fisherman can hear are in this text, caught nothing. Ah, 
stabs you right to the heart. I remember uh, one time Gordon Davis and I went fishing. We tried hard. We fished most of the day, and we caught nothing. And we got back in the car to go home, and Gordon taught me a great lesson. He said, well, Jane, uh, you know, that's why this is called fishing and not catching. <laughs> we fished, but we didn't catch. And so did these guys. The text implies that Simon Peter had grown restless with the notion of the resurrection. I mean, after all, what do you do with it? He, the way it sounds, that Jesus had appeared twice, this was the third time. What do you do with that? I mean, after all, he may have a family to make income for, to feed. He's got to make money for himself. Perhaps some of his colleagues do as well. So he announces, I'm going fishing. Some of his colleagues said, we'll go with you. That turns out there are seven of them. I never really thought about that, but they're enumerated, three by name, then the two sons of Deb Zebedee, James and John, and then two others that it says are unnamed. They go out, they fish all night long and caught nothing. There's nothing longer than a night on the water fishing and catching nothing, except maybe the hard plastic chair of an ICU waiting room. They fished all night, and it wasn't just having a red wiggler on a hook at the end of a line uh, watching a Coleman lantern burn either. This was throwing a net and pulling a net and throwing a net and pulling a net. So if they didn't have rotator cuff issues by the end of the night, uh, they, were, they were supermen. Well, they get to the dawn, having caught nothing, and they hear the voice of a stranger on the seashore. text goes out of its way to say nobody knew who it was. You know, we always talk about the bodily resurrection, but it must not have quite looked like Jesus or quite sounded like Jesus. Even Mary didn't recognize the voice the first time. And so the voice comes out uh, and says, you don't have any fish, do you? And they go, no. And the voice calls out and says, we'll cast on the other side, and there you'll get some. They do. The net is so full it nearly breaks when they pull in the fish from the other side. It's a question that I have of why, why did the church, why did John's church save this story? What mattered to them that this story kept empowering them and telling their story? It's also told once in the Gospel of Luke, but it's set in a different setting, with a different context, with Luke's purposes. It doesn't say cast on the right side or the other side, it says cast on the deep side in Luke's Gospel. But why was this important to John's church? Well, here's my speculation, not that we know anything about this, but John's church went through times when they grieved their visible success because it did not equal their hopes or validate their labor. I mean, not that it has anything to do with us, but I'm wondering if that's what they talked about in the catacombs. But the effort they put in and the dreams they had didn't, didn't tally up on the bottom line like they had hoped. My hunch is it was. And yes, sometimes that's what we talk about in the conference room, 
It's also what they talked about in the catacombs below Rome. What do we do? What do you do individually with your disappointment? And what do we as congregations do with our disappointment? When the church or when your life feels stuck. Well, in this case, they remembered the story where Jesus said, cast on the other side. Have you ever had a conversation with someone, maybe a mentor, and they were able to say something that changed your entire perspective? It was like casting on the other side. Remember, I used to go see Franklin Duncan, a mentor of mine. I carried some Northside Drive people with me from time to time there. And we'd, uh, he and I would talk, and I would be down about something and mad about something and upset about something. And he would go, well, that's interesting. Um, I can see how you would feel that way. What would it be like, though, if you looked at it from this perspective? And I would go, what am I paying you for this, by the way? My goodness, I, why? And I'd breathe deeper, stand up straighter. The thing is, he didn't change any of the facts. But what he changed was the window through which I looked at facts. Suddenly, I cast on the other side, and everything was different. Cast on the other side may mean to try something new. After all, the familiar is always the safest, even if it's not working anymore. We'll go back to that as a default. As I thought over my time with you, nearly a quarter of a century now, I thought of two areas in which just being with you have challenged me to cast on the other side. The first, and both of these are still in progress, very much so, the first is about race. We have a long way to go, and I have a long way to go. This time last week, we were in Washington, D.C., Liz and I, at the Alliance of Baptists, one of the families of faith that I connect with and our church does. And the theme was about liberty. But the theme said, is there liberty without liberation? And there was an emphasis in every service about how are we dealing with race? People of color led each of the services. We sang songs, some in English, but others in other languages. I still need a lot of help with, with race. And I get, keep getting mad at Kenneth Dean for not being around now because I need his help with that. I can be better than this. I can grow. And part of my confession is how invisible this thing about racial inequality is. Now, I would talk with you all, say, and you would go, well, you know, I don't get, get this thing about privilege. People talk about white privilege, but, you know, I grew up poor, and I didn't know I was poor. Somebody said I was poor, you know. That'd be my story. But there's a lot of invisibility and mask to that. Barbara Brown Taylor says, our shadows are often behind us where others can see them better than we. We need help with this. I need help with this. It could be that New Hope AME, our church colleague around the corner, tenth of a mile from here, could help us see our blindness, especially in these days when it seems like racism is on the rise. Remember the stories of this past year and being applauded. 
It's something you have challenged me to do and grow, and I hope that you'll continue to ask that of me, casting on the other side. The second thing is about religion, race and then religion, as in other religions. This comes close to home when we have, like two weeks ago, the shooting of uh, the Chabad Synagogue of Poway, California. The alleged shooter's name was John Ernest. He killed a woman, shot the rabbi, shot a child, and shot another adult. Those that were doing the crime scene investigation looked at what he had posted on the Internet, and there was a hate speech against Jewish people. But the real shocker came from his church and his church denomination. He is a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's a small evangelical denomination. And other pastors of that OOPC group began to read it and couldn't believe it. For instance, Reverend Micah Edmondson is an OPC pastor. As he read it, he said, this certainly calls for all of our churches for amount uh, to do no small amount of soul searching. He says, Ernest is 19 years old, is a member of one of our congregations. His father is an elder and he attends regularly. The pastor goes on to say, in the manifesto, the writer spewed not only hate against Jews and racial minorities, but also using strong Christian theology. And it's all there. He was Cal he's Calvinist. He is of the elect. He had been paying attention to the sermons he had been hearing and was in good Calvinist Christian theology right down the line. But Pastor Edmondson says, However, we cannot pretend as though we do not have some responsibility being a member of his congregation's denomination. He was radicalized into white nationalism from within the very midst of our church, Pastor Edmondson said. Now, I know you have to factor in mental illness, especially young white males at that age. You see that a lot. And also uh, f factor in guns everywhere, the availability of, of guns and ammunition. But here is a pastor of this small denomination saying, do we not have some responsibility as an educating community to talk about this? To quote Barbara Brown Taylor again, the only clear line I draw in my life these days is, pay attention to this, when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. That feature of my religion is one of the things I like best. She says, Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. He did command me to love my neighbor. Wow. If I were in a dialogical congregation, I'd say, can I have an amen? I'll, I'll take it that you say it in your heart. But you see, the, the, the casting on the other side of not from our position of privilege of what, yeah, we're all, we, we know who we are, we know, etc. But to say, how does it come across on the other side of the fence? Friends like Clement El Amin, the former ma 
uh, imam of the Masjid of Al-Islam helped teach me that. Some of you may have gone to hear Barbara Brown Taylor over at the uh, Cathedral of St. Philip this past week. And if you haven't read her new book, Holy Envy, Finding God in the Faith, faith of Others, get it, uh, or I'll loan you mine. It is, it is a word we need to hear today. She says, Christians are not particularly gifted at knowing how we sound to others, especially in parts of the world, like the United States, especially in parts of the world where our voices are the loudest and the most numerous. I think of this every, every first week of May, not because of Cinco de Mayo, but because of the National Day of Prayer. I, I wish it were named what it is. It's a bunch of Christians talking about prayer, or close to Christians. It's okay to name it what it is, but have you ever heard uh, an imam called on to do uh, the call to prayer? Or the day of prayer? Allah Akbar. God is great. Can you pray God is great? Of course we can. Have you ever heard on the National Day of Prayer the Upanishads read from? Or the Quran? Yeah, you hear a lot of the Hebrew Bible, and especially the Christian Bible, because it's a Christian committee that puts it together. Barbara says, religious illiteracy, and that's our monocular look, religious illiteracy is a luxury we can no longer afford. When does Ramadan begin this year for our Muslim friends? It's tonight. It's tonight. At dusk, tonight is the time. It begins. Maybe drop a note to a uh, Muslim friend and say that you're praying for them during Ramadan. Cast on the other side, Jesus said, and I figure it took a lot of courage to do so. The Bible doesn't say how they decided to do it, but boy, I wish it had. Don't you wish you knew what that was? How did they go through the decision? Now, I, my hunch is there was an argument among them. Especially they're a bunch of tired fishermen, worn out from all this. Now, Jesus says, they don't know it's Jesus, the text clearly says, throw on the other side. And so, you don't know what they thought about that. Did they say, well, I'm too tired, I don't want to throw on the other side. Or did Peter say, well, I'm going to be the first pope, uh, so I'm just going to pull a rank, and I'm going to tell you, we're all going to throw on the other side. Or did someone say, well, I think we need to reach a consensus here. What kind of opinions? They say, let's have a vote. There were seven of them, three for, three against, and one abstain. How did they decide to do it? Or was it four to three and majority rules? We're not given privy to how they chose, but they didn't let their blaming of each other or their guilt or their shame make them choose no. Somehow, their perhaps fear of the other side didn't prevent them from casting there. It was not too big a risk, and they took courage to do so. When they did, they pulled in more than the net could even handle. Maybe Jesus was trying to teach them that come one day, you'll need to be able to cast the net toward your disappointment rather than away from it. You'll need to be able to take a risk 
and cast on the other side. So back to the questions that I asked at the beginning of our service. What would that risk look like for you? Take a risk about faith that would be courageous. What would casting on the other side, which is always the imaginative side rather than the traditional side, what would the imagination of casting the net for Northside Drive look like for our leadership this week? We don't know the answers, but Jesus invites us to breakfast. Matter of fact, he's feeding the breakfast. He's already got fish he got from somewhere and some bread on the grill. He says, come. He takes the bread and he gives it to them. Come, takes the bread and gives it to them. This meal is for all of you today and use it for courage to be able to get to the other side. Bring your disappointment. Bring your delight on this uh, Cinco de Spring day. And let us enjoy being the nourished people of God together. Amen. It is our tradition that whenever the word is proclaimed that an opportunity to respond is given to all those here. And perhaps there is someone here who, as James just urged us, is ready to cast on the other side, to have a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. We invite you, if you would like to join our congregation, or if you have a decision to make for Christ, you can come forward during the hymn that we're about to sing. That hymn is 519, It Is Well With My Soul which arose out of a time of great anguish for the author of the hymn, but ends with a proclamation of hope. that We can say, no matter what we go through, that it is well with my soul. We'll sing that, the stanzas noted in your order of worship, and we'll stand as we sing.
I'd like to bring a few celebrations and concerns and some announcements to you this morning. Directly after the worship service ends, we'll have our spring fling. And it looks like the sun is out, so that's a good thing. We'll be meeting for lunch, all are invited, to the Undercroft, which is directly below us. If you don't know where that is, follow the group through a door, okay? We'll have lunch, and then uh, we'll have hopefully some outdoor, maybe some indoor activities, and all are invited. At 3 p.m. today, the Festival Singers of Atlanta will gather for a concert in the sanctuary. Wanted to make sure you knew about that opportunity. And then a, a week from today, next Sunday, that's Mother's Day on May 12th, our church will be ordaining Caitlin Cook Fur. That'll be at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary. A week from today, 4 p.m., all are invited. The Missions Committee wanted me to have you save a date for our Habitat for Humanity Interfaith Build. That'll be on August 3rd. Put that on your calendar. More announcements to come. We'll hear from Dave Wooten and others. We have many to pray for, and I want to pray uh, and encourage you to pray for the family of Bill Jones. Bill Jones, who's been struggling with cancer, who was a 10-year member of our church, died yesterday at Harbor Grace Hospice. We pray for Stephanie, for her family, and for the family of Bill. Funeral arrangements have not been finalized, so be looking for an announcement about that. Also, Radar Bjornard and Joe Hunter, who have been recovering in various hospitals, have now been uh, transferred to rehab, and so we're glad that they were discharged and in rehab. We pray for Radar and for Joe. Now let's hear from our handbell choir as we continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
It is now time for our service of communion. Please follow along in your order of service as we read together. The peace of Christ be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with all the company of heaven, who forever proclaim the glory of your name, singing. You may be seated. On the night of Jesus' suffering and death, he took bread. And upon taking it, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. We celebrate the memorial of Christ's redeeming gift, O God, in this season of Easter, and through this meal that speaks of both sacrifice and thanksgiving. Recalling Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, we celebrate these holy mysteries. Sanctify us and your entire church, that we may remain faithful in love and hope as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And hear us, O God, as we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. 
Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. All of God's people are welcome at God's table. Take these gifts in remembrance that Christ died and was raised. Therefore, let us come to the table in thanksgiving and hope. Amen.
Let us stand for prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks for having refreshed us at your table as we have celebrated the presence of Christ. Deepen our faith, increase our love for one another, and send us forth into the world in strength and in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.
benediction that Paul gave to the church at Rome that ends the epistle to the Romans. Now may the God of hope, who by all peace and joy fill you with love, send you forth by the Holy Spirit so that you may abound in hope. Amen.